Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Hey, what's up, guys? So happy you're joining us today to do Church at Home. Church is not canceled. We're doing Church at Home. And so no matter, no matter what that looks like for you, whether you are uh, got a few people around you, whether you're just doing this on your couch in your sweatpants, I hope you're comfy, hope you're healthy, and uh, just want to let you know of a few things to kind of guide this time today. And so I want to make sure you know that there are some links to the worship songs. Uh, they're probably in the description of this video. They're also in your inbox. And so grab those, spend some time in personal worship before you just jump right into the sermon today. Uh, that's an important part to prepare our heart that we might hear more deeply what God has to speak to us. But then also um, want you to just take the discussion questions that we've provided in the same spot as the worship links. But really, if you're surrounded by your family, uh, your friends, or maybe you're just doing this on your own, either way, I think it's a great way to really dive deeper into the content today. And if you're with friends, you can really talk about and lean on that uh, personal relationship side of things today. Uh, or if you're just on your own, I hope those questions would kind of guide as more of a personal devotion for you today so that uh, no matter who we are, no matter where we're at, uh, nothing can stop us from encountering what God might have for us today. So I hope this content blesses you. Um, I hope that Jesus is giving you a spirit of peace right now that surpasses all understanding as the world is sort of going crazy. Uh, I hope that you have hope and assurance that God is still on his throne. He is still good. Uh, love you. Can't wait to see you again in person, hopefully soon. Hey, what's up church? Good morning. We are gathered in a different way this morning, but we're not canceling church. We're not not meeting. I hope wherever you are consuming this message, wherever you're getting into it, I hope that you're with some people. Uh, you could even maybe pause this right now and call some people, text some people, get some people together uh, as long as you're feeling well. And here we are all going to be opening the word together uh, amidst this just kind of crazy coronavirus time. So um, our hope in this season, we don't really know how long we're going to be in it for, but we're hoping and praying that it would be swift and short, that this would be over soon because uh, we can't wait to get back into our building and to gather with all of you again. But for now, we're going to see what God might do in this time, doing this together in this way. And so um, we're going to do kind of what was happening in Acts chapter 2, is that we saw that the disciples, the followers of Christ, were devoted, they were committed, they were all in on this idea of sitting under the apostles' teaching, sitting under teaching of the Word of God. They were going to break bread together, they were going to be in fellowship with one another, and they were going to pray together. And so I hope no matter what your context looks like today, however you're getting into this sermon, uh, that you would do some of those things, that you would maybe break some bread, you'd eat something together, you would pray with one another, and you'd get into this teaching today with us. And so, I don't know, maybe you're a friend that just got brought over to somebody's house and you didn't really know what was happening, they just offered you pizza, and now they're showing you a sermon, you don't know what's happening, but um, I'll explain kind of what we're going through. We're picking up in a series that we've been in. Uh, we're gonna be in part three of the series today where we're exploring the seven I am statements about Jesus in the book of John. And so we un last week unpacked the bread of life, right? And we talked about how uh, really every single human being has kind of this hole, this pocket in their heart that you can stuff all sorts of things inside of that, but nothing is gonna be substantial enough. Nothing is going to satisfy your soul like Jesus. Nothing can, nothing can uh, satisfy, can meet that hunger, that thirst. Only Jesus can fill that. And so we talked about that last week. This week we're going to be unpacking the phrase Jesus says that I am the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. And so 
the heartbeat really for, and it's great that this message is, is happening when it is really, you know, obviously could not have planned that we'd all be sitting here in my living room today, surrounded by like most of my small group, friends, family, all gathered in here today. Um, but here we are talking about Jesus being the light of the world. And what we're going to see is really that Jesus has entrusted the church to now carry that light into the world. And so I just want to start today with a quote that's going to be uh, really, I hope it's our heartbeat as a church for these next however many weeks that we're kind of in this setting, is that uh, Tozier says, a scared world needs a fearless church. And so here we are, like we are, we're going to be fearless, we're going to be wise, and we're going to be cautious, we're going to heed advice that's given to us from health officials and stuff like that, but we're also not going to be filled with fear. We know that nothing, um, nothing that comes into us from, that's of fear is from God. And so we're going to operate in this, in this discernment, this um, aggressive, I think, time that the church could really be aggressive and push forward because uh, I don't know if you remember, but like after 9-11, there was this season where like church attendance was going up. And it's this time where when the world is chaotic, when, when it seems like life is falling apart and security, like I mean, what we talked about last week, security is kind of being taken away from underneath you. Your health is being taken away. Uh, there's volatility in the stock market. All these things are happening and people are grabbing for something. And so I pray that what they would meet right now is a church that's in lines at a grocery store, um, you know, maybe going door to door, prayer walking. We'll talk about some of the practical things that we can do to be the light of the world at the end of this message today, but I hope that that's who they meet. They encounter people who have encountered the Lord and have this peace, this hope that's steady and sure. So we'll jump into light of the world. Uh, so let me pray and then we'll kind of get right into it. We're going to open up into John chapter eight. So uh, Lord, I pray that you would meet us in this time. God, that you would fill us with a spirit of hope that comes from you, of peace that comes from you. Uh, and not just that, I don't even pray that we'd stop there, God, but would you, would you fill us with um, the spirit, the truth that we are more than conquerors in Christ. And that's not because of anything that we do that's impressive on our own end, God, but it's because you have filled us with your Holy Spirit and we have the privilege, the honor of carrying that with us wherever we go. So Jesus, I pray that you would use this unique time that we're gathered in maybe a different looking way um, to do something special. Would you help us lean into the relationships, lean into this kind of uh, time that allows for better discussion than you could ever get in a church building. Um, but God, we pray that you would be most glorified, that your church would look strong right now. All, not just, not just our church, not just Good Shepherd, the church in Loveland, the churches in Colorado, the church in the world would just look so strong right now because they are empowered and, and being pushed along by you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. 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 So John chapter 8 is where we'll dive in today. And so I'm going to be just reading from the Bible. We're not going to have scriptures that show up on, on slides today. So if you have your Bible with you, grab it, open up to John chapter 8. If you don't have your Bible and you're watching on the podcast, here's the great thing is um, you could just hit pause, right? Like you can just hit pause, grab a Bible, download the Uversion app. All of this will be on the Uversion app in the events. If you just search for Good Shepherd Church in Loveland, you'll find it there. And so we're going to pick it up in verse 12 today, starting John chapter 8, verse 12. If you got it, say got it. Got it. If you need more time, say hold up. Hold up. Okay, here we go. Also, just pause if you need to pause it. All right, let's go. Here we go. Um, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered them, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. 
For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that your, the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. So they said to him, therefore, Where is your Father? And Jesus answered them, You know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury, as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him, because his hour had not yet come. And so you can hear even some of the heartbeat again in, that's been in this series that what we're trying to do as we go through the seven I am statements through the book of John is we're trying to behold the Lamb. We're trying to fix our eyes upon Jesus that we might know him like for real and that we might know him deeper. And so you can hear Jesus is again, it feels like a couple weeks in a row, he's teasing the language where he's telling the Pharisees, you don't really know me. You don't really know me. And so there's a greater side of this that we can press in and know Jesus deeper. And that's where we're going in this series. Um, but I think it's important, and we pointed, pointed this out week one, that there's more context than just Jesus saying, I am the light of the world, I am the bread of life. Remember, it goes all the way back to week one, which is actually the end of chapter eight here, if we would have kept reading, where he says, before Abraham was, I am. And it's, he's trying to do something significant for his audience. So we gotta know the context. He's speaking to his audience, and he's trying to tie their minds back to something God said about himself back in Exodus, right? Um, and if you haven't seen the first couple weeks of the series, you can go back, you can watch those. They're probably just, if you're on the YouTube page, they're probably just like a, they're on the right-hand side of the screen right now. You could click it. Um, but I am, he's trying to tie our minds back to what God said about himself. So Jesus, make no mistake, like he's calling himself God. And even in this, they're saying, you can't, they're going, you, you liar, you liar. Like you can't say that about yourself. Like your testimony, you can't just testify about yourself. Where's your witness? And so in this, Jesus is, make no mistake, he's calling himself God. And so I, I just love that there's no neutrality in the things that Jesus does. You can't conclude after reading the New Testament that he was just a kind guy, he was just a good teacher. Um, he, was, he was either who he said he was, which was God, or he was just a crazy person. There's really no room for any in between. And so he is God, and, and it's good to point out that like the context matters of how we read scripture, context matters. We should be asking ourselves, like, where was this said? When was this spoken? Who was he speaking this to? And because just like the context of saying, I am, does one thing for the Jews, we also got to understand the setting that Jesus is in when he speaks these words, I am the light of the world, is super significant. And so we're going to take a couple minutes just to talk about that setting, because when he's saying it, it says where he was. He was in the treasury. So it's all like location, location, location. Okay, not like real estate, but it's just, it's, the location of this is significant because he's in the treasury. So a quick like working of the temple, the temple would have had an outer court and anyone would have been allowed to go there. Jew, Gentile, anyone would have been allowed in the outer court of the temple. But as soon as you went into the temple, you stepped into the court of the women or the treasury. And so any Jew was allowed in this part of the temple. And it makes sense because it was the treasury. It was where all the offerings were given and collected and received. So beyond the court of the women was the court of the priests. And only the priests and men accompanying the priests to give a sacrifice could go inside that next court. So beyond that, then we have the holy place, which is like you're now in the most inner part of the temple where only priests could go. And then you have the Holy of Holies, which, which is it's significant to know that's where the presence of God was. And so it, it's cool because nothing else that was sinful was allowed into that, behind that curtain, in the Holy of Holies, in the most holy place. And, and 
you know, so much so that like when priests had to go in there, they would, they would tie a rope around their waist. They would have bells on their, on the bottom of their robes, because if any, if they had any unrepentant sin or any unconfessed sin, when they went into that space, that sin that wasn't dealt with, and they would encounter the presence of God and they would die. And so really N.T. Wright would explain that like the innermost part of the temple, the Holy of Holies, is this place where heaven and earth are one. It is on earth as it is in heaven, in that place. So back out a little bit. We're back in the court of the women. So Jesus says this in the court of the women. There would have been a lot of people in there. It would have been packed. It would have been crowded. And the timing of when he said it is significant because he says it at the conclusion of what was known as the Feast of the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. And, and so this was a time where Jewish people were commemorating. They were remembering the time where they were being led through the wilderness for that 40 years. And they were being led by what? pillar of light, right? Of, of fire, of smoke, and a cloud that was guiding them along the way. And so they would, they would come out of their homes, they would pitch these tents, these booths, and they would kind of camp out and remember that God did that for their fathers, right? And so it's the super significant time. And in that time, they would light candelabras. They would have these, all these candles. It would have been the whole area of the uh, court of the women would have been filled with, with candles and they'd light them and they'd let them burn all night. This is what historians would say that it was this like grand display in Jerusalem because I think we can't really picture it because we have cities that never sleep and we have streetlights and we have all these things that are happening, happening at night. But for Jerusalem, no electricity, no power. But what you'd have all through this Feast of the Booths, Feast of Tabernacles, is you'd have this, this temple that just radiated a beautiful light. In the middle of this like dark, dark city, you would just gaze upon this temple that was like probably awe-inspiring, right? And it's in that setting, right at the conclusion, where Jesus steps into that space where the light would have been seen, and he says, I am the light of the world. Not just the light of this temple, not just the light of this city, not just the light of, for the Jewish people, I am the light of the world. It's super cool, right? And, 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 the, and the Jewish people are like, you can't just say that about yourself, right? They're asking for a witness. And I love the line that he says there, where he says, um, I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. And so if we bounce over to John chapter one, what is Jesus talking about? Where has he been? Where is he going? John chapter one starts with this idea that says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Now, if you keep reading, you'll learn that who is the word? It's Jesus. Jesus is the word. So he was there in the beginning and he was, he's one with God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not anything was made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So Jesus is saying, I don't need a witness about myself. I am God. I was there when all of this was created. Like I opened my mouth and the stars fell into their place. That's who I am. No light that is existing in this universe has come to be without me. So he points back, that's, that's where I've been. Where am I going? Well, we see in Revelation 22 that the city, the new city that comes and the new heavens, the new earth, there will be a new city and it's beautiful and there will be no need for a sun because of the light that is radiating from the Lord's glory, the light that comes from the Lamb. Jesus, again, he's there. There's no need for a sun. There's no darkness in, in heaven, in the new heaven, new earth. Like in the eternal, in the eternity that's to be set up, there won't be a sun, there won't be a need for one, there won't be darkness because Jesus himself will be there and he will light it all up. 
That's crazy, right? I mean, it's just like we have a big God. He's been, he is the Alpha, the Omega. He's not going anywhere. And so he says, this is who I am. I am the light of the world. And it's just kind of this mic drop kind of moment, right? But there's a few things about light because I love this. God doesn't just give us these kind of blind metaphors to, that we can't relate with at all. But he uses a thing like physical light, which is responsible for, I mean, you think about the sun. It's responsible for all life. It, it lights up our world so that we can see. There's all sorts of good things that come. And so Jesus uses a metaphor. He uses a picture of something that we can actually comprehend and understand. So for the rest of the time, I just want to unpack a few things about light that, that we actually see that Jesus is the fuller, he is the better version of light than like even the sun, even the lights in this room or whatever. He is, he's better than, he's bigger than, he's more eternal than all of those other forms of light. So the first thing about light is that it illuminates. First thing about light is that we notice is it illuminates. It's said that um, if you're going to be walking into something, there's two ways that you can know you're going to run into it. It can either be lit up and you can see it. It can be illuminated for you and you see it and you avoid it. Or if there's no light, you'll just run into it. That's the other way you can discover that it's there, right? Like the Lego on the ground, you can either have the lights come on before you step on it or, you know, it's you can step on it and and hopefully, you know, you're holy in that moment and words don't come out of your mouth that shouldn't be there, right? But um, I, when I think about this, I think about this story I was hunting with my dad uh, a couple years back and, you know, wake up at 4 a.m. to try and get to this certain spot by sunrise. And, and he had been there many, many times. I'd never been there before. And so we start off, we park the truck at this spot and he's like, hey, we're just going to walk, you know, he gets all quiet and serious, you know, we're going to walk down that hill and we're going to get right back down there. We're going to follow this trail. You just stay behind me. And I'm like, okay, okay. we got headlamps, right? So it's all okay because I have this headlamp that's illuminating the world around me and, and I'm walking and we get to this spot and he's like, hey, as soon as we cross this corner, I'm going to have you turn your headlamp off because we're going to, they might be down here. You know, we're hunting for elk. So he's like, they might be down there. So turn your headlamp off. We're going to be really quiet. And then right before we turn the headlamp off, he's like, oh, look at that. It's like, what is it? He's like, look, right there on the ground. It's like, what, what, are you, what is it? What are you pointing to? He's like, it's bear poop. Turn your light off. <laughs> what? Like, you just want me to turn my light off? You just told me that like there's a bear that's somewhat near here. But like, thank goodness light illuminates the world. Like, it's silly. Like that headlamp was not protecting me from a bear. Right. But just even having it on, having light in the world makes us feel safer, does it not? Like it just, it illuminates things for us. Without, without light, there is no sight. And so we're able to see, it makes us feel comfortable, it makes us feel safe, we can understand our surroundings a little bit, and we can see a bear from uh, you know, any given distance that we might be able to run away if we see one coming. But so um, light illuminates, and in the same way Jesus illuminates us. And here's what I mean by that, that all of us, the Bible would describe us as, in, in our initial state, in, in the way that we are born into this world, we are spiritually dead. The, 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 the lights are spiritually off. Like we cannot see the things of God. We cannot notice the things of God until he illuminates them for us. And, and so maybe you've experienced this before where you know somebody who can read their Bible. They maybe know a lot of, of the Bible. There, there are atheists who have studied and they know so many parts of the Bible, but some of it is clearly just not being illuminated for them. Like they just can't, there's, there's a barrier there. And that's why I think it's important even when we're praying for like evangelism, like we got to pray in a way that is not asking, hey, can we just give them this information so that they might change their mind? But we should be praying in a way that says, man, would the Holy Spirit just light this up for them, that he would just illuminate the truth for them so that they might see and understand. There's a verse here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that hits on it. You don't have to flip there. It's just going to be a quick verse. Um, I have it bookmarked here, kind of. 
Paul says, the natural person, this is second, uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 14, the natural person does not accept the, th the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him. They're foolish to him. He, he can't see it. He can't understand the things of the Spirit of God. For they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And so even for ourselves, I, I think we should be praying, we should be seeking in a way that doesn't just I feel like I've been saying this for weeks, but we're not just asking God to give us more facts and accumulate more information, but we should be seeking the Lord in a way for like, I even think of for my children, like I'm praying, God, would you just be real to them? Would you illuminate yourself for them? Would you just light it up so that they can see the truth? This is just kind of this reality that we live in, that, that God has to illuminate, he has to reveal so that we can be made spiritually alive. We walk in spiritual darkness. We walk in darkness, and now we've been called to walk in light. That's, it's a spiritual thing as much as it is understanding it. It starts spiritually. And so God illuminates. He lights things up. But this isn't just something that happens initially at our salvation. It's also something that we see in Scripture happening through our sanctification, through this process of being made more and more like him. So we have verses where um, man, man makes his plans, but God directs his steps. And I feel like that's, that could kind of be what's happening right now all over the world. Like, man, we have... I had this plan for retirement. I had this plan here for my job. Uh, but now, like, steps are totally different. Everything's totally changing, and, and I, I don't know what I'm doing. And, like, God is directing steps. And that's the, that's the beautiful promise of having a Savior that's going to be with you on the mountaintop, but also in the valley. Like, he's going to be walking through that with you. Um, your word is a lamp unto my feet. And so, like, I just, God, I want you to just follow you. Would you light up the way that you want me to go? I mean, you can think. You've probably all been in that situation where you've been, kind of in a predicament, you have two options ahead of you, and your prayer is like, God, would you just make it obvious for me? Would you just, would you just illuminate a certain path that I should go? And so God illuminates. God is a light that illuminates things for us, not just in our salvation, but in our sanctification as well. The next one is, is not quite as fun. Light also exposes. Light exposes. And so, um, you know, maybe a, a silly situation would be a fitting room where you're like, the lighting in here is just like, I'm not digging the way I'm looking in here, right? Like, why is it got to be showing all that? Uh, maybe like you think of a black light where it's like, oh, this room, this hotel room looks clean. Let's just, so we can, we can hang out in this hotel room. And then it's like black light turns on. It's like murder scene, you know? It's like, what happened in here? Light has a way of exposing things that we couldn't see. And I love thinking of all the different kinds of light that we can't even see. There's, there's whole ends of the spectrum of light that our human eyes can't process. But light is definitely exposing things uh, to other animals that have different ways. I mean, um, this is a total side note, but we have this, uh, I would recommend Louis Giglio's Indescribable Little Children's Devotional. It has all these science facts where you get into it with your kids. And one of them that we read recently was how there's like these things off the spectrum that animals see. And that's what God wants to give us is he wants to give us eyes that can see things that aren't just in the natural. They're in the supernatural as well. But so light also exposes. Um, so Jesus not right here in this passage, but if you were to read the beginning of John chapter eight, uh, it's this story of a woman who's caught in adultery. And, she's, and it's, she's caught in the act of adultery. And so you think, they, don't, they bring her in, she's, she's probably just could not be in a more undignified spot probably. She's just been caught in the middle of this sin. She's brought before, they have all these, there's all these men around her who are saying, man, you know the law, Jesus, like she deserves, she deserves to be stoned. And he says, let he who's without sin cast the first stone, right? Maybe you know the story. And it, they just all drop their stones. And they know that none of them are qualified to do this because they all have sin in, in their life, in their heart, and you know, wherever. Um, but then the next part's like super interesting, right? Because nobody leaves, but then Jesus starts drawing in the sand. And it doesn't give us what he's drawing, you know, but you can conclude some things because they start leaving one at a time. 
And so they, you know, some people have guessed like maybe maybe they're, he's writing the sins of the men around him. Maybe he's writing the names of the adulteresses that they have in their life. And so the reality is like we don't know. It's all conjecture really. But Jesus writes something in that sand that causes them to leave one at a time. And he, and he picks that woman's face up and he says, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And he says, Neither do I condemn you. Go. And from now on, sin no more. Like, I love that story, but what it proves is that there is nothing that is beyond God's sight. Everything is like exposed to him. And so this is like a heavy, a heavy point, maybe especially in like a, a smaller context. You're sitting in a room full of people and you're like, boy, this just got uncomfortable. But, but, but what's beautiful about it is there's no, there's no action, there's no deed, there's no thought, there's no desire that goes unexposed from God's eye towards us. And yet he still moves towards us. Like he still moves, moves into our situation. That's what's beautiful about the gospel is that it wasn't about our acts or the good things that we thought or did or tried to do. It's that God stepped into our mess. He stepped into our story to bring life, to bring healing, to bring repentance from that. And so it's great because um, I think what that creates is such freedom for us especially for those of us, I think we've all probably felt this way before on, on a small level or on a big level where you have a part of your life that you're trying to conceal and, and you're working overtime. Maybe, maybe you have a lie that you have to throw out this web of lies so it may, it, you can get away with it. It keeps like stacking lie on top of lie. You have this whole maybe like part of you that you're just working so hard to conceal that you're just acting like you're somebody else to, to the rest of the world around you. And what you're doing is you're creating the weight of two lives on you now. If you're, right, if you're living a double life, you're creating all the weight that there is in your actual life. And now you're creating all the weight that comes on you from living this like double life, this thing that you're worried will get like or revealed, that you're working so hard to stuff down and make sure it gets hidden from society. And Jesus just says, I know, I already know. And I think his invitation for us is to bring all those things, even with the people around us that we love. So, so maybe this is the context, maybe it's certainly not the context because you don't know people well, but you should have somebody in your life where you have exposed everything in your heart, exposed everything in your life into the light. Because that's where Jesus says we will have the most life. I think King David hits it well in uh, Psalm, Psalm 32. I'm going to read a few verses of it here. Psalm 32 verses 1 through 5. He says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Like there's no part of me that I'm trying to conceal or hide or make look like something else. And this is what he says. And you think about David, his story, what he, what he had going on in his life, uh, adultery, murder, right? He had these things that were dark, dark places. He says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. And for day, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. But then check this out. It totally flips in verse five. I acknowledged my sin to you. I do not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my soul, Selah. And it's just this like, this idea that as soon as that was lifted upon him, as soon as he realized that God is a forgiving God, he is kind, he is, he is grace filled. There's this moment where he gets to step into this rest because he wasn't bearing the burden of this double life, right? And so, Light certainly exposes and, and is uncomfortable, and, and sometimes it can be consequential. Like, I'm not saying it's inconsequential. Sometimes you can expose things that are happening in your life, and it has consequences. I'm not just promising that everything will be perfect, but I'm promising that everything will be better. 
It'll be better in the sense that like God is going to be doing something in that. You might have very real consequences that you have to live with for bringing these things to the light, but you will no longer bear this burden of trying to be two different people, and you will step into this fact that God has made me, he knew I was going to mess up, and he still loves me, he still steps towards me. So, light illuminates, light also exposes, doesn't explode, does kind of explode sometimes, <laughs> um, but light also, and this is kind of where we'll end today, is light welcomes, light welcomes. and so. I love that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And he takes the, the, what's happening in this Jewish custom, the Feast of Booths and the Feast of Tabernacles, and he's saying, hey, listen, this plan is so much bigger than just Israel. This plan is so much bigger than just the Jewish people. I am the light of the world. I'm not, like I said earlier, I'm not the light of just this temple, of this city. I'm the light of the world. And he's bringing this hope uh, into the world and the promise that comes with it in John chapter 8, I think we should pay attention to. Let me flip back there real quick. Hang on. I am the light of the world. Whoever, like that's pretty inclusive, right? Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so the promise that comes in this is like, man, if you follow Jesus, and right, it doesn't say like if you are kind of open to what Jesus, you know, some of the things he says, but you disagree with some of the things he says. Like, no, if, if you're following him, like if your life is all in going like, Jesus, I'm yours, like whatever, your mission above my mission, your heart above my heart, whatever you tell me is off in me, whatever you expose in me, I'm trusting you, I'm following you. If we get to that point of surrender, where we are saved and following Christ, then what happens is he promises, he doesn't promise that darkness won't be present, like he doesn't, he doesn't promise that he's just going to vacuum us out of this world like that's filled with chaos and darkness. He doesn't even promise that darkness won't be persistent. Like darkness will, darkness will keep on coming. There will be things that keep on happening. But what he promises in this text is that darkness will not prevail. Darkness will not prevail. It's like what Kenda's always said. Um, life is hard, but God is good. Don't quit because we win. Darkness will not prevail. Jesus is the light of life. You saw it in John chapter 1. He was there in the beginning. And, and he was the light of the world and the, the darkness has not overcome it. Like it's just, it's, it's counter uh, just the, the way that light works. If light is present, darkness cannot be in that same space. If, if darkness is present, that means that light is not there. And so as followers of Christ, it says that darkness won't prevail in a way that says, um, remember we were talking about the Holy of Holies, right? That innermost part where the presence of God was. The, the, the baffling thought of the New Testament of what happens when we place our trust and follow Christ wholeheartedly is that what the Bible would tell us is that that same power that, that dwelt in the temple that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in us. Now lives in us. And so now we get to be this welcoming light, this light that we carry, and it's such a privilege, such an honor to carry the mission of Christ with us wherever we go. And that's why I can't think of a more timely message than this because light is always victorious. Light is victorious. And so whatever space we're stepping into over these next few weeks, we know that we're, we are carrying the presence of God with us. And that's an acknowledgement that we have to make where we go, no, 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 I'm stepping in the space. Um, I think the worst thing, the most harmful thing for the church right now would be to have a lamp and to put it under a basket. 
to have this to have this light, but then to just look like the rest of the world looks, to be panicking like the rest of the world is panicking, to be filled with worry like the rest of the world is worrying right now. We, we have the opportunity right now as a church to step in, even though we're not gathered in hundreds of people, thousands of people this morning all around the country, it's in smaller groups like this, like so many churches are doing this very same thing, and yet, like we are still all individually carrying that light, that light of life lives in each of us. And so I wanna kinda of go through just a couple practical ways that we can do this over the next, I don't know, like, like we said, maybe it seems like this week is a pivotal week, at like, that like it could either get kind of crazy or we can kind of contain it because everyone's taking the right measures and flattening the curve this week. But, um, and, and maybe even you're watching this message, you, you were like, ah, oh, I'm not going to get in a church group. I'm just going to kind of lean into this time. Like the whole world hits pause. And I think you can do some intentional things to rest in this time that you don't normally get in your life. And you can just say, okay, we're going to hang at home for a few days. But my guess is at least by next weekend, the way this looks like we'll be doing this again next weekend, um, gather some people like you're going to have just, just rare interactions with people uh, at the grocery store where you're waiting in a line that's wrapped around King Supers like we were just talking about. And, and like spaces where you're, where you're waiting for things. things are, you're meeting people who are panicking and you can meet them in the same panic, the same fear that they have because it's, it's contagious and it's easy to buy into. Or you can be prayed up on your own. You can be, have spent some time with the light of the world on your own and you can realize that you get to carry that into those spaces. And so, like, I think, I think this week it's like, maybe you're, maybe you're watching this just on your own, but I hope what you will do is next week, you'll take advantage of the fact that we'll probably be doing this again. You can be thinking about who you're going to invite, who you're going to bring into your home, some friends, some neighbors, some family members. You can maybe trick a coworker who has to work remotely now and you can bring them on into your house and you can watch it too. And, and, and we can say, no, uh, we don't, we don't hope like the rest of the world hopes. Like we have, there's something different here. And so we'll unpack it and open it together still. Um, I think a couple of things that we can do really intentionally is we can pray. Um, just as much as we are kind of heeding the medical professionals and, um, and our governor's advice to not gather in groups of 250, that mandate has been put on Colorado. Like we're also gonna so much more easily heed President Trump's advice that says, hey, we're gonna commit today, Sunday, March 5th, or yeah, March 15th as a national day of prayer. And so whether you're watching this on Sunday um, or whether you're watching it sometime in the week, like it's, it's, we are, we should be as a church eager to step into this space where we're going to pray. Um, I had just heard that there's some organizations that are asking people to pray through Psalm 91. And so I just maybe write that down even right now, but just write Psalm 91 down in your own time with groups of people, pray through Psalm 91. Um, but I think we should, we should really be doing a few things. We're, we're gonna pray and our group, right as we turn this off, we got our group of people here, we're gonna pray. Uh, but I think the other thing we can do is we can have our eyes up. Like we can be just looking out to see what's happening around us. Um, I think rather than if, if you are young and if you're healthy, like you're, you're helping. That's kind, of my, that's kind of my thought process in this is like, man, if I'm young, healthy, and I'm able, like if I'm able to step out, I'm not, I don't have any symptoms, I'm not making, I'm not bringing a threat to the grocery store around me or whatever. Um, like I'm going to step out and I'm going to see myself as a helper. And so be looking for needs, be looking for ways that you can get involved. Um, I think one thing that we want our church family to be aware of is that if you are over the age of 65 or if you have any comorbidities and you're feeling like you need to stay in your house, I want to encourage you to stay in your house. I want to encourage you to stay safe, stay in a place where you need to be. And if you need a prescription, if you need groceries, if you need any sort of errand run, you need your dog walk, something like that. Like you just need something to happen for you. You have a whole church now. It's really cool. We have this multi-generational thing going on. You have a church of younger people who can step into this space and serve you right now. And so we'll maybe be reaching out to you this week if you're over 65. Um, but then I just want to challenge all of us that are 
under that age that we don't have any other things going on and we're healthy, we're symptom free, let's get out and see ourselves as helpers. So we're gonna pray, we're gonna we're looking for spaces to step into and help, and we're also gonna reach out. I, I, I could, especially like students, younger people, like you are stuck now two weeks of spring break, which at first it's like, yes. And then I know like three days from now, you will be so bored. You will have reached the end of Netflix. You have watched every YouTuber's thoughts on the, on the coronavirus, And you've seen all the conspiracy theories at this point. And you'll just be like, I'm done. Like I'm bored. What do I do? Maybe call somebody. Like it's not contagious through the phone. Like you could, you could call your grandma, you could call your grandpa. Like most of those people are stuck feeling isolated. They would love to hear from anybody right now. Call somebody this week, reach out, be vocal in, in some sort of way. I think one way that we could pray is not just in our homes, we could prayer walk. Like hopefully it'll be nicer this week. We can get out and we could prayer walk. We could interact with our neighbors. You know, don't have to high five anybody. Don't have to hug anybody. Don't have to lick anybody's doorknobs or whatever, but just like be normal people, engage in conversation, but then ask like, hey, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? If you're out at the grocery store, if you're eating at a, like supporting local businesses and going to a restaurant or something like that, say like, hey, this is a crazy time. Can I pray for you? I think the news has convinced us that most people, when you ask that, they freak out and they well up and they're like, are you kidding me, Christian? Ah. But in reality, like so many people in this space, in this day, they need to encounter somebody who has been entrusted with the light of life. Amen. And that's us. That's all of us. And so um, we're going to pray. Um, Church family, I don't know when we'll meet, when we'll be able to gather together again. I, I am pumped. I just know like we're, we're under attack right now. And so that means God is gonna be doing something great. So I, I cannot wait to gather together again. But for now, um, stay safe, stay healthy, um, do the things that we're talking about doing. And uh, yeah, we love you and we'll see you soon.